You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Salem After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Salem After Show. Hey everybody, welcome into the Salem After Show right here on AfterBuzz TV Season 1, Episode 7, entitled Our Own Private America. I am your host, Bobby Demiro. excited to be with you for yet another week here on Salem. The show keeps getting better and we've got a fun one to talk about today and we have a full panel on the desk. Marissa Serafini sitting to my left and over on the other side of the table, Anna Koppel and Jesse Owen. Hey guys. Hello. Alright, let's get right into it today. What did we think of this episode? A little bit better than last time, I think, right? Definitely one of the better episodes so far. A lot a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was really fun, very entrancing. A lot of things happen with all the characters. And we saw some familiar faces, too, along with new faces. I mean, the story just keeps progressing forward, and I like it. I was real excited because we finally got to see Increase. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a scary guy because he's the grim man the entire show until we learn his name at the end. And we knew who he was, but he's not actually introduced until the end. He's a creepy dude. He's a kind of mean dude. I understand why Cotton's the way he is now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he seems like the the tough father who shows like no love or sympathy towards anybody. And he likes his way or nobody's way. And I think knowing where Cotton has come from makes you kind of feel more for Cotton than Increase. Yeah, without a doubt. We'll get to Increase in a second, though. Let's start our first topic today on Mercy. Because Mercy, who was dead in the water come episode one, if you watched the pilot, you were like, oh, that girl's toast. She's strung up. She's done. Mercy is is maybe one of the more powerful people in the show right now. And she's developing her powers today. She's learning a lot about what it means to be a witch and what she can do and what she can do to help the team, to help the coven, as it were. And she turns out to be a bit of an intense individual herself, killing Dolly Trask's mother, which we'll get to in a second. But before we get there, it's this idea of dreamwalking. Um, Mercy and Mary both are going to go on these walks, on these supernatural walks. And Mercy's kind of learning her way with this walk, and Mary teaches her... We've talked about it last week on the show, and it looks like it's coming to fruition maybe a little bit, the relationship between Mary and Mercy, that Mm -hmm. Mercy is Mary's underling and maybe Mary's only ally because the rest of the witches haven't necessarily fallen on Mary's team, or at least up until this show weren't, until this episode weren't. So is Mercy, at what point does Mercy come out under Mary's wing, or is Mercy always going to be subservient to Mary, do you think? She's already come out. Really? Yeah, by killing by killing Mrs. Trash, she already came out. That wasn't her. That was not Mary's directive. And, it wasn't. You're right about that. And so she she's already done it. It's already she's. And I don't think this is going to be a question of old versus new. 
this is going to be even another direction. And I, I laughed. I looked at Bobby. I was like, this is ridiculous. Because when, when Mercy said to Titova, she was like, you know, we are, we're tired of this and we're not going to take it anymore. And we're going to, you know, this is like another group of girls who are not going to take it. But I was like, this is silly because she's saying this to a black house servant. Like, who's not going to take what anymore? <laughs> Come on. Uh, but but I think it's, it's going to be even another generation of witches going in with their own desires for what uh, the, gr- the grand right is supposed to look like. No, I th- I think Mercy, you know, she's going to get more powerful, obviously, but I think that she'll still have that respect for Mary and Tituba, you know, like I I don't think she'll cross them, but I mean, I don't know. Is, is there an application I mean, process to become a witch? Because Mercy may not have been the best soul to take, as it turns out. Well, definitely not an application process, but <laughs> definitely an initiation process, and I think this is Mercy's second kill now she's definitely coming out and being becoming stronger she's becoming a faster learner she's learning things and you can see the excitement of it then and when she finally succeeds at doing something dark and she goes running to marry like a kid and like hey i did this this is awesome i love it teach me more and she has that mentality that drive to just keep learning and we're gonna see mercy Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline see obviously become more powerful but i think they're in the future we're still going to see um, mary teach mercy the ways and still guide her along so i think mary still has the upper hand because she's mercy is such a still a new learner and new student so i think mercy also sees mary as kind of like a mother figure because we never saw mercy's mother but can i just say i wonder if mercy's dad's like hey where's mercy today Hanging out at the Sibley's? Like, is that not weird? No, they mention it now because remember when, when, when Dolly went into the bundling thing, which we'll talk about in a second, the, the Barker kid was like, so have you been to the House of the Gables? Was that what it was called? Which was Mary's house. Gables, the House of the Seven Gables, which is Mary's house. And they said, have you been there? And the girl's like, yeah, I have. And the guy's like, have you heard Mercy lives there now? And it's like, yeah, where are Mercy's parents? Did they just give her up? I, well, I think it's just her dad, right? The preacher? He's the only is person it? we've seen so far but i think also i mean i can understand maybe the parents might have disowned mercy especially having all the public um you know situations that mercy's had being possessed and all that so it might be understandable that the parent would want to like disown her and not take ownership in her i'm sorry to oh no cut you off um it it hasn't been explained that's that it, it has not been clearly explained though is the but, point. Yeah, and no one's claiming her or like she doesn't really have friends either that I mean, we saw the those girls a couple episodes ago or was it last week? But even she doesn't really Mercy doesn't have friends or family that really is questioning her whereabouts. But but th- those were her friends today that she because went in the bundling again that we'll talk about in a minute, but uh she what he said was or what Dottie said was my friend Mercy lives there. So those are still her mm-hmm. friends. I think she they've just been sort of frightened about her. Uh, Let's, at first, I wasn't sure though because you know she's. It feels like I feel like she's almost trying to do things to her friends. Like, oh, know. she is. Hold hold on to that friend idea because I want to talk about the bundling in a second because that's a big part of this episode and a weird part of this episode. But before we get there, guys, we've got a special treat for you. Let's hear it. 
Hey guys, Maria Menounos here, and I want to share my newest book, The Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness with you. Basically, every woman always stops me and asks me how I lost 40 pounds, so I decided to put it all in one book. Everything I did to lose 40 pounds step-by-step, step, and how you can too is in here. I did it with no time, no money, and no willpower, and now I'm going to show you how to do it too. You can pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever books are sold, and it's out June 3rd, so I hope you guys love it. I hope it helps you in your weight loss journey, and please, please tweet me and update me on your progress at Maria Menounos. Thanks. All right. So as Maria was saying, this book is called The Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness. It's pretty thick. There's a ton of good stuff in here. I've seen Perez Hilton's picture in here like four different times. There's a lot of celebrities. There's a lot of recipes. <laughs> there's a lot of technical stuff. Here's the health benefits of fiber. It's not just stupid like, here's how you lose weight. It's actually kind of technical and scientific. So I'm a fan. And oh, Maria in a bikini. So... I can't complain. Yeah, and also Derek Huff, so the women can't complain either. <laughs> <laughs> the women can't complain either. Good call. That is out tomorrow, June 3rd. You can pre-order that right now. I know Marissa is much of a workout buff as you are. You're a fan of things like that. It's, it's a great book, and I mean, it's a great read, and there's a lot of fun photos, and you can see um, just how she lives her life, and so healthy and so successful. And It's a great guide for not just girls, but for everybody. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, hey, let's get back to the bundling now because this is interesting. Speaking of girls, let's talk about groups of girls. Mercy and her friends, which are kind of her friends and kind of not, as we've talked about in a previous uh, episode, a previous after show, those girls really didn't give Mercy the time of day and didn't necessarily like her until Mercy started hanging around with Mary and things started happening to Mercy and they kind of, you know, maybe respected her a little bit more or looked at her a little bit differently. And now those girls are... Maybe as tight as you can get right now with friends in Salem. I don't know. Maybe they're not BFFs with Mercy. Think that they weren't friends before. No. Yeah. Well, remember a couple episodes ago, they come to the door to see Mercy, and Mercy opens it, and she's terrified of them. And they come inside, and they're really imposing and stuff. But it's actually them who are interested in her. And once she finally starts breaking down that relationship, they don't have a healthy relationship. Those girls and her. I think no. they're kind of using each other in a weird way. Yeah, I think the girls are using Mercy because of her power now over the the people and somewhat of Mercy, uh, Mary, I'm sorry. But it, the girls, they're there just to use Mercy. And I don't think, and Mercy kind of realizes that too, because if they were real friends, Mercy wouldn't be doing all these acts towards these girls. Yeah. But, I mean, they're, they're as close as friends as Mercy has had that yeah. we've seen. She was definitely an outcast. I think maybe even before the way that they set up the story, even before the possession earlier and then the witchcraft now, Mercy still was probably an outcast in Salem, and she was never one of those popular girls. And now that she has this power that they don't realize what it is, but she has this power, she wants to still be accepted in the mortal realm, even though she's a witch. Well, she was very moved, though, uh, disturbed when Mrs. Trask hit Dottie after after the whole thing with the bundling happened and they, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Trask and Mrs. Barker had this uh, sort of fight, whatever they had, and uh, this confrontation in the middle of the town. And then after Mrs. Trask slapped Dottie, you know, Mercy had like a real reaction to that. So were they, you really, they don't have any kind of relationship? Or you think she was just having a reaction because she had some sort of um, empathy for her? Or what, uh, what do you think that reaction was about? I, I think it's one of those situations where not to... You can't. This is going to be a very broad generalization, but in some cases, when if you're not, if you're an outcast or you're not part of a group you want to be a part of or whatever it is, I think there are some cases and some people, and this has probably happened to all of us on some level. I know it's happened to me where you see a cool group or something that you want to be a part of, mm -hmm. and they don't accept you, and 
you almost empathize a little more to want to be one of them. And then when something happens to one of them, you look at that empathy as a way to, oh, maybe I can get in with this group if I do this for them or if I help them with this. And I know that's a broad generalization about, you know, the dynamics of friendships. But I think the empathy comes from Mercy there in the sense that she's still trying to be accepted by them in a weird way, even though she's way more powerful than they will ever know or they will ever be. She still she still is a teenage girl on some level. Just like Mary right. yeah, still is like, a woman who feels emotions, Mercy does the same thing. Right. Mercy, it's adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. She's trying to, like, how do I explain this? Like, she does things for him. Like, she had that guy, the girl's father. Did he get killed? I don't remember. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, she did the that first to girl, the, Emily. Yeah. yeah. So she did that to his to her father, and then on this one, she made it. She was saying that she didn't want to marry Joe Barker or whatever, so she did this, which I won't tell what happened. But <laughs> you know, it's like she's doing those good things. So it's like, oh, I'll do these good things for you, and then we can be friends. That's exactly it. And, and I don't know the dynamics of female friendships in middle school and high school better than you guys. That's I think you guys are experts. Though. But it's it's there is a little bit of that, definitely. I, I mean, am I wrong? I don't know. No, that I feel. Girls would do anything to do get acceptance from their peers, and this is exactly what Mercy is doing. In her sick, twisted way, because not that she's kind of going on this dark path, she's going to go do dark things for dark situations just to get the approval of these girls that she so wants to be friends with. But the friendship with all of those girls is completely disingenuous. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in last week we burn Salem over zombies and say zombies were unimaginative and stupid and you shouldn't have done it. This week, give credit where credit's due. The sign of a good show, whether it's a period piece or a historical piece or whatever, the sign of a good television show is universal truth, right? Even if it's a period, you still understand it. And this is one of those relationship dynamics where no matter what time period you are, if they set this in 1692 or 1992, when you see the way Mercy and those girls interact, you say, you know what, I get that because I saw it or I experienced it. And I think that's the sign. That's a good sign of a smart show in this case. Yeah, and that's what people can relate to yeah. and understand. Yeah, absolutely. They said. <laughs> um, so so speaking of, what did you say? Uh, dark, dark, creepy, dark, unnatural, whatever it was. Uh, how about that bundling? What was it? I, That was one of the creepiest things I've ever seen ever. <laughs> uh, I've never heard of it before the show, So, mm-hmm. but I imagine it has to be real. They couldn't have made that up. Or, or, or maybe it was an amalgamation of different traditions. But, yeah, it definitely came from something. I don't think they would have made that up. But that's a Puritan idea of purity and, you know, carefulness, careful nature. Carefulness isn't a word. <laughs> careful careful relationships before marriage and all that kind of stuff. That was creepy. But the parents were, like, sitting there watching them. They're like, hello. I'm going to watch you in bed now. And he's like, do you want to get close to me? And she's like... No. <laughs> yeah, and I'm 12. I just got a great idea for a YouTube series. It's Jesse doing voices and faces of every Salem. <laughs> no, I'm 12. You can redub scenes. <laughs> but but that's just that's what made it so creepy is that did we need them sewn apart and the parents in the room? Were they going to try to uh, have pleasures below the waist <laughs> with the parents in the room staring at them. Listen, it's so weird. You can do a fair amount of stuff above the waist that they probably wouldn't have approved of in Puritan New England at the time. So the be- they should have said like below the neck, you know? Right, <laughs> that's, right. Could, that's that's where they were sewn from, like the yeah. shoulder down. So. <laughs> why were they in bed together though? Anyway, like why wasn't she at home? We were talking about this, though. You were saying that it was an idea to get them to get to know each other. It's almost, I mean, what it was is an arranged marriage. 
This is yes, an arranged marriage, and they need to get to know each other before the ceremony happens. Yeah, so they want so. to take it to second base before they even get, come on, first date. <laughs> yeah, but what, right, exactly. But why can't they, like, go on a picnic or something? Why can't the parents supervise from afar? Uh, why can't they go to church together? I just feel like there are so many things that could be done to get to know each other without being sewn into a bed with the parents. It's so weird. It's so weird. And if he smells bad, if Joe Barker smells as bad as they said, could you imagine being sewn into bed with somebody like that? Oh. In a bundling uh, uh, sheet that's seen three or four generations. <laughs> oh, and she's like, this is three generations. You ripped it. <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, hey, look, look at look at traditions, not just Christian. I know there's a lot of different religious traditions with stuff like this, but I'm thinking of like chastity belts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of purity, even today, in a different way, like a purity ring, which is not a physical thing that prevents you from doing whatever. But it's still the idea of you have something that's a reminder or a prevention to it's engage in activity control. like that. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> a little bit different. But it, it also just shows <laughs> Not the same. how time was so different back then because didn't I want to say the uh, English um, England traditions that a lot of people shared the same bed. So to go off of that to raise it to this uh, escalated to this type of level for a certain different purpose. It, I mean, it kind of makes sense in a way. Just the traditions of getting to know each other. I believe it. <laughs> I'm glad traditions have changed. Yeah. <laughs> it still completely but freaks me out. Have, <laughs> have they changed, though? I don't know. I mean, we don't do bundling anymore, but... Are you sure? I'm sure 300 years from now, <laughs> people, be, <laughs> people be... Ridi- you mean that's weird that I do bundling? Now you guys know a little bit about me. I feel like it wouldn't surprise me if your family did bundling. Wow. <laughs> <Just wouldn't. laughs> wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Oh. oh, my Lord. Okay, moving right on to the Barkers. Let's talk about these Barkers because besides the bundling, oh. we see that Mrs. Barker is a pretty foul person. And I'm sure there are good qualities to her, but everything that we see her in, she's pretty mean and foul. The bundling situation, she was pretty overbearing from the start. Uh, Dolly rips the sheet, and she's obviously angry. And then we see the confrontation in public, and this is the key one, the confrontation in public between Mrs. Barker and Mrs. Trask that Mercy oversees, Anna, like you were talking about, and Mercy takes empathy with that. Um, So the Barkers essentially are burned at the stake for being witches when they really weren't witches. But mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, it's Salem, and that's the way things go. Uh, and, and this is where we learn the key with Mercy to come back to her. This is where she starts leaving her body, and Mary starts teaching her how to leave her body and teaching her how to do this. And then Mercy, like we're saying, goes completely rogue and kills Mrs. Trask as opposed to just knocking pots over or just, you know, even just beating her up, doing something like that. She slits her throat. That's final. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really shows the how extreme that Mercy is becoming. And then she's really embracing this dark side. And she took pleasure in it. Yeah. She and smiled. She's, she's enjoying it. And I think it's like after that first kill, you just got to keep going in that adrenaline rush that Mercy's getting from like this dark metal. After, after that in first way, kill, yeah. you just got to keep going. I'll, I'll sit over here. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It, but it just shows like how dark Mercy is becoming and how much she's enjoying it. And it's scary to to know that this is already Mercy's second kill. Well, I just realized something uh, that in the in, when they had that confrontation in the town, maybe the reason why she got that look or had that reaction is because uh, Mrs. Barker said 
something to Mrs. Trash. She said something like, watch yourself or, you know, I'll teach you a lesson. Or, watch yourself, I'll watch you for you. I, um, yeah. And that might have been the moment where Mercy decided, oh, I know what I'll do. And so maybe that's why she had that reaction. No, it's it's definitely that moment because mm-hmm. this was culpability for the Barkers because, hey, this is Salem in 1692. We don't have DNA and we don't need evidence. If it <laughs> looks guilty, it is guilty. And that's how it happened. Absolutely. Right. And it seems like Mercy has an inferiority complex with authority. That she doesn't take, she doesn't like taking crap from authority, who's always like putting her in her place and being used by authority from, you know, the past episodes. So, like, if someone, if she sees an authority figure, like, do something wrong or say something that she doesn't like, she's going to go after them. Well, and that's actually an interesting point because look at how Mary has been dealing with Mercy lately. It's not authoritarian at all. Mary put her arm around Mercy yeah. and was walking her in and stuff. And it's very much like a mother or an older sister or some very close relationship like that. It's not authoritarian, and Mercy's eating it right up. That's a great mm-hmm. call about mercy and authority. Absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Professor Serafini. <laughs> Does it again. And then the Barkers, this is going to be tough to talk about the Barkers without going into cotton and increasing those guys. We'll talk about them in a second. But to stay on the Barkers and Mercy then, Mercy takes so much joy out of slitting Mrs. Trask's throat. Question to the panel. Do you think the joy came from the act itself and, and, and the goals of being a witch and doing all that stuff? Or... She was Mercy was just proud of herself for being able to complete an act and having these powers. I think she wanted her dead, but she was mostly proud of herself. I don't think she was like, oh, yes, slit in her throat. Like, I don't think that's who she is. I think she's just like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. Like, I have these powers. I'm a badass. Uh, she was equally <laughs> excited about the egg thing. So yeah. I think she's just excited about the powers. But that see, that is scarier to me. Because if you were excited about just killing Mrs. Trask, hey, maybe it ends there or whatever, and you just wanted to get back at the Barkers. If you're excited about the powers, then you have no conscience for what this means for other people, and you'll do whatever just to screw around with the powers. I think that's – is it not scarier? Oh, totally. Who knows what she's going to do next week? It is scary, especially, like, the path that Mercy's gone. She is becoming more extreme every single week. And I felt – I mean, yes, we can see she was obviously excited during this kill, but I kind of did see – a like a ecstasy kind of rush, a ecstatic kind of situation. She got pleasure out of it, like real pleasure. She was also really excited when uh, when she and Tituba were getting the malum and they were yelling, "Mrs. Trask is dead." Uh, that look that she got on her face, like she was so pleased with herself, and looking at Tituba. I mean, she was she was excited for mm-hmm. herself. Maybe teenagers make the best witches. Because oh. you wouldn't expect them. That's not a maybe. And they and they like to rebel. They're rebellious. They like to cause problems. They're chaotic. Maybe they make the best witches. Mm. Interesting. And, and they're more success, uh, susceptible to like things too. Yeah, but I think they get caught up in stuff, and you know they get caught and um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? They uh, they're risk takers. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they don't care. I'm saying, who's another teenager we know in Salem? Come on down, Anne Hale. (laughs) Just saying. Maybe they make the best witches. Um, Okay, on on the Anne subject real quick, I don't know if that's one of our topics, but did it, like, I know her mother, like, talked to her about the, you know, obviously her father being a political figure or whatever the lie was, but it's like it never was clear. Like, Anne really just, she was like, I don't believe it, Uh, and that was it. Like, it never, it didn't. 
push that. You know what I'm saying? I, I think uh, no. Let's talk about Anne right now because it's a quick conversation before we move on. But I mm-hmm. think that's exactly what it was. They just needed to keep establishing this idea that Anne knows more about her father, doesn't buy the confidential agent lie, um, and and that Anne is smart because when the mother said she works for a foreign government or whatever it was, a foreign entity, Anne immediately was like, "Is it the French?" So on some level, Anne understands geopolitics in Salem in 692, so she's not dumb, and she's going to go figure this out herself. I think the point of that scene for us was, A, it concludes what we saw at the end of last week when her father disappeared in the cloak, and B, it's it just kind of gives us a little tip that says, hey, next week or two weeks from now, this is coming back. Get ready. Well, she's a little dumb. I mean... Really? I, I like dumb. her. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say dumb, but I just... <laughs> Because he said not dumb, I had to uh, <laughs> more aloof. Like uh, you can definitely see, she's a little bit ignorant to the world. Just I mean, she's but young. she is young, mm-hmm. so I mean, I can't blame her for that for not being all knowing, uh, especially at her age. Well, and especially about her father's witchcraft, I you know I can't blame her. But um, you know, her mom says foreign entity. I feel like if it was France, she would have just said France. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Although here's the question, and I think we're probably going to be all in agreement on this, but maybe not. Last week, we were hypothesizing that maybe the mom was a witch or knew about the witchcraft. After seeing the lie the mother told, do we all agree that Magistrate Hale has been lying to the mom and just told her, oh, it's a foreign entity? And the mom thinks it's a country when it's actually witches. Or is the mom still in on it? I definitely think Magistrate's definitely lying to his whole family. Yeah. Yeah, Because you lie to your daughter, you're... It's probably easier to lie to your wife. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, but we know that Magistrate Hale will lie his way to get anything he wants or to manipulate situations. So he's going to lie. It seems like he's lying to his whole family. Did you get the vibe that maybe he, like, cheats on his wife with the prostitutes? Was I the only one that got that vibe? Like, because at first I was like, whoa, what's he doing with them? Like, and then, of course, the message came on the back, but it was like, it was no big thing. Like, he was a regular that, I don't know. I, I was the only one that thought that. <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I actually thought he showed a lot of restraint with the prostitutes, where somebody like John walks in there or Cotton walks in there, and it's like a free-for-all for those guys because they know what they want. He walks in there, and when the message came up, he said something to the effect of, this is the message I've been waiting for, and was so matter-of-fact with it. I think for Magistrate Hale, it's like, I don't care if these girls are prostitutes. That's the least of my concerns. I'm here for a message, and then I'm leaving. Yeah, he's so. he's a businessman, not... He's, he's not in it for the pleasure. He's in it for the business. Well, how does he explain as a magistrate what he's doing in the whorehouse? Investigating? I don't know. Investigating? <laughs> I'm following I'm up waiting lead. for a sign. He's investigating, and Cotton Mather, when he's in the whorehouse, is proselytizing. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Quite a shame. Well said. All right, let's uh, transition now, because Hale's a good transition point, to talk about the message in the whorehouse, the boat coming over, and increase. Before we transition, though, guys, get on iTunes and rate and comment this Salem After Show. We've had a great following so far, lots of comments on YouTube and stuff like that. If you are listening to the podcast version, please give us a good rating. Professor Serafini demands it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's I do. earned it. She's, she's earned, earned it. it. She no, has earned it, actually. No. She's done a lot of work. And it only takes a minute. Tell a friend. If you have somebody, friend or family member who watches Salem, bring them on. We'd love to have them in our coven. See what I did there? I did. That was smart. Yeah. All right. Let's transition now because Hale in the whorehouse is a good transition point because he sees the message written, I believe, in German, or at least part of it was in German. Uh, And the message said, I wrote this down, quote, we are becalmed, he searches, but I remain hidden, I think was the entire message. 
And we know that it's coming from the entity on the ship, from what they're talking about, which we don't know what the entity is yet. But we soon learn when we see what's going on in the ship that it's this grim guy who we later know is increased Mather. The first ship scene that remi- that is significant to me after when they're searching underneath the ship, they're searching for the supposed witch and they can't find her. The first good one is the captain's hands on the table and increase whips out the two knives right through the hands on the table. Jesse, I remember you having to like turn away during that scene. <laughs> I'm not a huge blood person or knives. Like, I can handle sh- gunshots and all that stuff, just not knives. Really? Yeah, it bothers me. I don't like cutting throat and wrists. That's this is the wrong show for you. I don't know, <laughs> because I can, like, look the other way because I, I sense it coming. <laughs> so I can just look and then look. Like, I got this. But that's, that was a nice introduction to Increase because it shows just how crazy and violent of a character that he is. That stabbing people is nothing to him. Killing people is nothing to him. So he's a good new big bad in town. And and the relationship between him and Cotton, Cotton is horrified of him and always kind of has been scared of him, and now we know why. Mm-hmm. When we get a look at Increase, yeah, he's not a nice person. Yeah, and, and he looks there, a little scared, too. Yeah, and there oh, was yeah. even the line when Increase was talking to Cotton, not to get too far ahead, but, like, don't think you're too old that I can't whip you. So just, you can tell that... Increase was an abusive father. The real Increase Mather, for those of you who don't know, I think we've talked about this on a previous episode. He was the president of Harvard at this time and was a very venerable older guy, very reason-based or whatever. So their creative decision to totally turn Increase 180 degrees away is kind of interesting. I like it, though, because I think we need some new angry blood in Salem to figure out what's going on. Because Hale and Mary and John and every one of these main characters kind of settled into their spot while they all have goals that they're going to go get. Mercy's now changing, which is fun, and now we have Increase to kind of liven it up. So, And and Isaac the Fornicator is back. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. After his broken hand. Was it a broken hand or wrist that the actor dealt with? Sorry. Did you guys hear broken about that? Arm. Oh, yeah, broken we arm. talked about that, yeah. Yeah, Ido Goldberg. So he's back with no explanation, but it's cool. Hey, Isaac. <laughs> uh, but back, okay, so back to Increase. He comes over on the ship, and let's talk about the two scenes with Cotton and Mary, because that's really where he comes up big time in this episode. The first one is with Cotton, and after the Barkers have been burned at the stake, or as they're being burned at the stake, and Cotton says, you know, who authorized this? By whose authority? And he walks in and says, mine, or whatever word it was. Mm -hmm. My my voice doesn't go that deep. (laughs) Um, Very physically imposing on Cotton. Not the basic dad-son relationship. Hey, Pops, how you doing? Good to see you again. (laughs) None none of that. Um, Very intimidating. And my question is, Increase said something specific about all the things that Cotton has been diverting himself with, all the books, all the studying, all the reason-based stuff. Where is Increase coming from? Is he another minister or another reverend or pretending to be a man of the cloth or is he just a different you know is he a a woodworker or something like that i mean where where is he coming from with cotton and is he going to look on cotton's book smarts and cotton's attitude and cotton's achievements as negatively as or more negatively as maybe john has in that term it's it's interesting um i can't really say exactly what where he's coming from but i see it as that Cotton is the book smart guy, and Increase is the street smart guy. And Increase has, has had the action and the the experience in the world and dealing with people in politics that he's learned maybe violence is the only way that he gets what he wants. And Cotton tends to use that rationale and the education 
to try to win people over and and use his smarts to get what he wants. So I think it just shows the two vast differences between them and the contrast and obviously the conflict that we're going to see more in the future and just how greatly they are so different from each other. So where does increase come from? Maybe he grew up with a violent background as well. And it's, let's be honest, Cotton and Increase's relationship with that street smart versus book smart is the same thing almost in a different way as John's relationship with Cotton, street smart versus book smart. Mm-hmm. John had the book turned over, you know, he had the book Upside up the down, wrong way yeah. and Cotton had yeah. to turn it over. Um, so it's that same kind of relationship. The problem is John and Cotton have kind of a little bit of a jovial, funny, we're doing this dances kind of buddy cops. Increase and Cotton is not that way and Cotton's terrified of him. So moving forward, not to not to call a prediction of it, but how much is Increase going to hamper Cotton's activities in Salem now that Increase is here? Is Cotton going to become a non-entity? I don't know. I was I was kind of liking at the end before Increase got there where Cotton was going, how he was um, he was kind of like pushing the crowd in the right direction, you know, because uh, Magistrate Hill said, um, what was he said? I thought I wrote it down. Basically, oh, something like, about the rule of law doesn't yeah. matter if the people don't. Yeah, yeah, basically like that. And but Cotton was like, "No, let's put him in jail. Let's have time to think on it. Let's give him a fair trial." So I think he was trying to be more fair and actually run the town like a governor should. And then his father's going to come in and just destroy all of it. Yeah, them. better a hundred innocents should die than one which walk free. Yeah, I think that pretty much tells us exactly where Increase is yeah. in his mindset. Yeah, and I think maybe we might get into predictions here. We're going to see a lot more deaths of innocent people because we saw the whole, oh, Barker, the whole Barker family. But we're going to see a lot more conflict and internal conflict with Cotton because his authority is getting questioned every single episode now that his father's in town because he, his father's going to be the one that's going to hold Cotton back and like completely shut him down in front of everyone. It, it was, uh, I thought, such in, incredible acting. It was such a turn in his character because, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, like, you know what, this is really good. Cotton's really growing as a person. We've got, you know, John, and even in the beginning of, of the episode, he was like, you know, I think God really put us together for a reason. And, you know, we've, of course, we've all been thinking as an audience, they're learning from each other, and this is great, and they're going to grow so much from each other. So he has John, who's teaching him about how to just be in the world and apply his knowledge, and, uh, and then he has Gloriana, who, this woman that he loves and he's going to fight for. But then his dad shows up, and he's just a completely different person. He just is like a little boy again, and with good reason. And his dad is an imposing, frightening person who threatens to beat him and then, like, kisses him on the face. It's just, yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting turn in him right away. Yeah, and I think that's what anyone would do when their parent comes back into town. You're, you're going to regress yeah. to that childlike state and how they've always... Parents tend to put you in your place, and that's exactly what increased it. But going to Gloriana, I mean, uh, not to skip ahead or anything, but I loved that scene how we were really pretty much defining Cotton and Gloriana's relationship, that Cotton wants more to be pretty much his girlfriend without paying. I'm telling you, I face, like Facebook official. Yeah. I'm telling you, I said I, it a couple weeks ago. He doesn't want to be a that, customer though. anymore. Yeah, maybe he wants a freebie. Maybe <laughs> <that's> <laughs> I'm tired no, of paying you, girl. What about a? Well, don't look at me when you say that. What about what about like a frequent buyer's card, like buy nine get the tenth free or something like that? You know? I don't think Punch cotton's card. coming. Yeah, but I don't think cotton's coming. So you can see that cotton really does care for Gloriana yeah. and really just wants this relationship to go on. 
Yeah. And she was she was turned on by that uh that bravery. Gloria, she reward you it. for your bravery. Yeah. Gloriana likes her a real man. He's got the beard, he's halfway there, and now he needs the bravery and boom. Yep. There you go. Yep. <laughs> All right, last scene with Increase before we move on to the big one, John and Mary, the actual you know, the culmination of this entire episode, maybe in some ways. But Increase and Mary, let's talk about that very last scene between the two of them. Because it, to me, symbolizes where Mary has gone in a way. And Mary, the first three or four or five episodes, was stiff upper lip, so tough, learned to be tough because of human circumstances with George Sibley and all that, but also became tough as a witch, you know, looked down on Hale, looked down on Rose, even fought with Tituba. And at this point, a couple episodes later, Mary is kind of almost a blubbering, you know, scared, running, uncertain kind of a person who's terrified of everything and everybody around her, not full on, but scared enough to bubble to the surface. And with increase, she is horrified, horrified, because he tells her he's here until, what was the line? Every um, last... Devil's whore. Devil whore of a witch is dead. Yeah. Boom, which in, cut which, to black. Which includes Mary. <laughs> yeah. So, and whether or not she thinks he knows that includes Mary, she still knows that he's after what she doesn't want him to be after, which is her and the Grand Right. So... I, I thought it was interesting how um, that Mary, like, her relationship with Increase, it seemed like... Uh, Increase might have been like a surrogate father to her in a way because she w- she kept saying that oh, I'm so happy that you're here it's so nice to see you again and I'm like where like where have their relationship been like what has what's the establishment of their like, relationship and our you know, surrogate father in a way and she knows George Sibley or he knows George Sibley very well. Yeah, well, that's about to get real whenever he f- goes to see his friend again. Hopefully we'll see that next episode. Whenever who goes to see his friend? Oh, and Increase yeah, goes to see George? He Absolutely. He wanted to see him, and yeah. she was like, he's resting. And then, of course, we saw the preview from next week. So. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. Um, another question that I have about Mary, let's get on to the big Mary thing. Because Mary and John have a great deal of sex in this episode. John has a great deal of sex more than Mary. I Unbelievable. Would say. Way more. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I, well, I mean, it's believable because it happened, although half of it was imagined and not actually real. But mm. this John and Mary relationship, so Mary goes and, and we learn a little bit more about dreamwalking. And Tituba teaches, or not necessarily teaches, but talks to Mary about dreamwalking. Gets her in that state when she puts that balm on Mary's lips or whatever it is. And Mary goes into this dreamwalking state. And Tituba warns her, don't dreamwalk in a man's head. Don't do that. It's hard to come out. You may lose yourself in there. Mary goes in the first time, finds the malum, and that's fine. Okay. Or the the first or second time time and finds the malum. But then Mary goes back. And Anna, I think it was what you said. Was it, what did you compare this dreamwalking to? You know, Sometimes I say things off the air, Bobby. You just it there. <laughs> no, but it was good. It was really smart. Fine, I'll take credit for it if you don't want to. But it's almost like like uh, watching pornography or something. It's 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 it's. I don't know what I don't know how else to describe <laughs> that's, that's it. That's not what I said. I would have been fine saying that. That's fine. Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> yeah, oh, I said it was like watching pornography. Okay, I, I do remember what you said now. But no, you. But, it's right. It's it's this total fantasy world where you can just kind of click into, and it's like, oh, hey, this is pretty good. And I don't know, is Mary when she dreamwalks. She's doing whatever she wants then. Some of it looked like a flashback almost, but some of it is her taking active control and being with John and doing what she wants. I mean, it, it would make sense with dreams because 
Mary has this objective to find the mountain's location. So the first time she realizes, oh, there's some pleasure in this. I'm going to enjoy it as well. And then the second time she still has this objective of finding the mountain. And then the third time is like, I really enjoyed this. This is literally just for pleasure. And I'm going to go back, despite all the warnings that Tituba just gave me and messing with the love of my life's mind. But she did that willingly the third time. She enjoyed it. Can I just point out that Tituba, excuse me, Tituba had warned her not to go and be very careful in any man's mind, but let alone John Alden's. Person you love. Um, But then sends her into the state by spreading her legs open. That was Tituba. She did that. Yep. I'm just saying. Yeah, is that part of the dreamwalking thing? What I don't she know. quotes, you know, she's saying all that stuff to get her into that um, thing. I don't, I didn't write down what she said, but she said something about a baby or something about a womb carrying a baby, and I thought maybe that was significant. You know, well, they, spread them open, girl. Babies, the name yourself in a way. <laughs> well, but that's interesting, Marissa. What you say about the first two times Mary goes in and dreamwalks, she has a direct objective. Mm-hmm. And she gets it, and it's dangerous, and you shouldn't dreamwalk anyways, according to Tituba, but she gets the objective, finds the malum. The third time she goes in, there is no objective. It's straight pleasure. It's straight guilty pleasure. And that's the time she gets trapped. That's mm-hmm. the time she goes into danger. So that's, I think, it's the danger of dreamwalking. It. That's the danger of all these powers for these witches, is if, or whomever. If you're going to use the power for a specific objective that you need to use it, okay and understand how powerful it is but to go back to mercy if you're just going to use the power willy-nilly because you have the power that's when you get into big trouble don't do it just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it she abused it however when she was in there that third time and she was lost in the woods and calling for john and there was you know this chasing of the native americans and the pilgrims and whatever is that john's big secret that he's been keeping yeah Mm -hmm. so did she get to see that is that going to come into play later i think it definitely will because it showed him as the red indian which i thought was mercy last week Weird. no it's tough to tell mm-hmm. but i think it was definitely yeah. john it was I, I, yeah john. in this yeah. one this one it was definitely john but in the preview last week it kind of looked like mercy i don't know i felt that was like really inception in a way when you go into other people's dreams they're going to get their nightmares as well and their dreams and their subconscious and that's going to blend and mix and make everything chaotic and confusing which obviously Mary learned. But my question is, why did Anne turn up in the third time? Is Anne... I think Anne's in John's dream. Yeah. Anne's in... Okay. It was like, well, what's the significance of Anne? Because my first thought was, maybe Anne's a witch and trying to, like, manipulate things, too, at the same time that Mary's trying to do all this. So, I just question why Anne was there. insecure about the relationship between John and Anne. So, maybe that makes things come up during her fantasies, her insecurities. I think it's mm-hmm. both of those. I think Mar- I think Anne is in John's dream, or and Mary has to find that. When you go in the dreams, you're going to see that. And I think Mary brings part of Anne into the dream because Mary is nervous about John and Anne, and maybe Mary is also nervous about Anne herself and what Anne means for this grand right because she sees Anne as some kind of an adversary. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of taken aback why Anne was there because maybe I just like Mary and John together. And I'm like, why, Anne, are you, why are you here ruining it? So. Well, John John did push Mary up or push Anne up against a wall and kiss her today. Yeah, but I felt that was just a way to calm him down because even the moments leading up to that, he was confused and like it seemed like he had a headache and he was trying to, like, grasp the situation and what was going on and it was anything to get that release and calm down 
So I'm not sure if it was an impulsive move just to, like, make him feel better or if it was actual genuine, hey, I want to make up with you. Well, because she said something like, oh, I imagine a man like you longs for the wilderness or something like your body longs to be. I, she said something that was suggestive. And he was like, you bet it does. Uh, I think she was just in his subconscious. And I think, like you said, Marissa, when she went without an objective to just kind of show up in John's subconscious, she was like, oh, what are you doing here? What mm-hmm. is happening? <laughs> and this was after John had already had his orgy, so you know he kind that of expected other women to be there. Which I mean, how many times true. have you guys gone into whorehouses and said, "I need at least five I'm all the time, <laughs> at least three? Or was it three? three. Said, oh, oh, I need at least three. Well, then that's PG. Forget it. I thought you're right. He said three, but he had five. He had five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Three. I give you five. <laughs> <laughs> it's good customer service. <laughs> You bang for your buck. There you go. Oh, hey, that's pretty punny. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, so after John kisses Anne, at at this point I become confused about what's a dream and what's real. I know we struggle with that watching this because at some point John and Mary start making out and go to bed in the real world, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, just wanted to be sure that I was not totally crazy. And then she became one of those women that leads a guy on, leads a guy on, and is like, hey, no, I can't do this. After we've kind of already done it. (laughs) What do you you think about those women, Jesse? You know, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I felt for both of them because. (laughs) I I felt for both of them because we see Mary, when she's going into these dream acts, she's enjoying John's company in that way. And then she really wants it because subconscious, your dreams are like your way of getting out your frustrations, and in her case, sexual frustrations. So she's going to want it with John. And but the fact that like she leads John on, and because he wants this too in a way, and then she just like cut him off. I'm like, Mary, you're just giving him reasons to hate you. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it? And it's that that's difficult for Mary. Why do that to yourself? Well, no, I, I think, but she does it to herself because she knows that Tituba is right, and she shouldn't yeah. be messing with John. She cannot be in love with this guy. She has to lose it. So she does just enough to frustrate him, like you're talking about. But she knows that it'll only push him away. Or she thinks it will. I'm sure it'll probably make him come on stronger. But she's trying to actually get him angry and push him away so yeah. it's easier for her to let him down. I just want them together. I like Mary and John together. They're hot. I wonder what will <laughs> happen if they're together. Because I know that there was the big ordeal last week, how they don't need to be together. It causes conflict. But what would happen? You know, like, because she sold her soul and... Maybe because she had the abortion thing at the beginning. I don't know. Wouldn't it have been easier for Hale and Rose and all the other old world witches to just excommunicate Mary and tell her and John to go live, you know, far, far away? And then the old world witches could do the grand right. I don't know if you can actually take her powers away, like, you know, men in black, kind of like memory eraser type thing. (laughs) But it would have been a lot easier to do that. So apparently that can't get done in any way. So Mary's in it for the long haul as a witch. Easier said than done. And if they really did do that, then there would be no Salem show. Yeah, that's, I mean, (laughs) I I agree with you. But, But that's the point is Mary has to struggle with this knowing that once she's given her soul away, that's it. There's no going back. And so she has to find a way to push John away. And to pull him closer for a second actually may push him away in the long run. I wrote this down. Um... What if Mary, like, I know that she was saying that they might do the grand right without her. What would happen to Mary if they did the grand right without her? Satan has her soul. I mean, that's just end of story. So she may or may not have her powers for as long as uh, she's on Earth, I think. But uh, So she might lose her powers, maybe, if they do the grand right without her. Um, but uh, She'd be a lost but cause. But she, she belongs to Satan. 
end of story. So she and John got together and had babies. I think that baby soul might be up for question. I don't know. Mm. Might be some coven stuff, like where Satan will come take the innocent babies. Rosemary's Baby, another show coming out. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. There's um, a, a lot of places to go through. Just go ahead. I, I just wanted to mention um, when Mary gets snapped out the third time after that almost losing herself, and the, the line that Mary actually admits that she lost control, and she kind of admits, def- admits defeat that, like, I lost it and I was wrong, and, and she knows that. But I liked how Tituba before that, was giving her all these warnings, don't do it, don't do it, and then in the end, Tituba was actually there to care for her, be like, you're okay, everything's okay now, and and it shows that maybe Tituba is still that good friend towards uh, Mary, and that Mary still does have another ally within Tituba. I think she certainly has an ally. I think Tituba maybe even more so is trying to keep Mary in line because of the grand right, mm-hmm. and Tituba knows what's up for stake, thinking, hey, maybe Mary doesn't know what's up for stake, you have to stay in line, Mary, and i got to keep you in line. Whatever. And aggression doesn't always work, so sometimes friendship has to. Yeah. Well, she said at the beginning of the episode that she would never stop caring for her. And she hasn't. Yeah, so far. I think they, they are still two friends, even though they're butting heads lately. But they are still friends throughout. Yeah. Anything else on Mary, or is it uh, news and gossip time? I think it's that time. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do some news. After Buzz TV News. All right, first off, before we get started with news, something related to news from last week. We want to say thank you as a group to Alex Winslow and Joseph Boza, who on YouTube both commented about how Channing Tatum's wife is Jenna Dewan. If you didn't watch this show last week, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. We talked about Shane West tweeting about Channing Tatum being uh, cast in the role of Gambit and how Shane didn't like it. They both pointed out, Alex Winslow and Joseph Boza, that Shane West used to date Jenna Dewan, who is now Jenna Dewan Tatum, I guess. Yeah. They're married, obviously. And there may be a little, uh, you know, bitterness there between Shane and his ex-girlfriend. Oh. So, yeah. So, so extra not professional of Shane West. <laughs> Seriously. Not professional and long-time bitter. They dated, by the way, between 2003 and 2005. Yikes. So That's is- interesting because Step Up, when Channing Tatum and Jenna Dewan were together in them film, that came out until like 2006, oh, I think. So-, so they were probably filming around that time when that all started. Oh, that wow. makes sense Mr. Now. and Mrs. Smith, huh? Both. All right. <laughs> totally. Moving on. Sorry, Shane. Uh, <laughs> first piece of news today on Azure Parsons, who plays Gloriana. This is a two-parter. Part number one, I have a crush on her. She's hot. Let's get her in the studio oh, for an interview. No, Bobby. Number two. <laughs> Every time. Number two. I'm just. I just wanted to establish it. Number two. She is playing Annie Glenn, the astronaut John Glenn's wife, on the new ABC miniseries Astronaut Wives Club. It's going to premiere next year. It's supposed to premiere this year. They bumped it back, so it'll be out in 2015. It is about the wives behind the pilots who became the astronauts in the 1950s and 1960s. It's based on a book. I've never read the book, but I have read another book about that time. I'm sure you probably read this book called The Right Stuff. By Tom Wolfe. I don't know if you guys have ever read this. Honestly, one of the best nonfiction books you can ever read. It's about the astronauts and their families and what these pilots had to do to become astronauts. It's a fascinating time in American history. The reason we bring it up is Azura Parsons is going to be a lead on that thing. She's playing John Glenn's wife. So her career looks to be taken off. So good for her. And news number three, Elise Eberly, who is Mercy, talks to Wet Paint about Salem, prepping for her character. We've had a lot of interviews in the news on this show where cast members specifically said, 
we didn't learn the history of the character. We didn't want to bring that in. We wanted creative control. I wanted to be blind. I think Shane West and Xander Berkeley both have said that, that they wanted to go in without knowing the history. Uh, Elise Eberly is totally different. Here's what she did to learn for, about Mercy, okay? Not only did she understand that the creator wanted to combine all the girls who were tried and possessed and whatever into one character, and that character is Mercy. That's kind of what the creator, I guess, was mm-hmm. looking for. But the big piece of news is... Elise Eberly worked with a possession coach to learn how to be possessed. Oh, wow. Interesting. Because we gave her a lot of credit for that possession scene a couple episodes ago where she's like a rabid dog in the middle of the town. It was phenomenal. Well, what she did was, she says, quote, I was fortunate enough to work with a curandero. A curandero is a Native American healer. He's a medicine man. It's an alternative take. I was very fortunate enough to work with him. It's funny. I actually called him my possession coach. He's incredibly fluent in dark magic and possession, so it was perfect for the role and for this show. He had all the evil information, and I just totally absorbed it, understanding possession by evil. Wow. Wow. Talk about method Mm. acting. I want to meet that guy. (laughs) I'm not sure I do. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So big question from those two pieces of news for you guys very quickly before we get to predictions and a question for you folks at home. Is Salem the breakout for those two women, Azure Parsons and Elise Eberly? They've worked both before. Parsons probably more than Eberly. Parsons is a little bit older. But is this, are these breakout roles for these two and are we going to see them for a long time to come as actresses? I think definitely breakout role with... um, Elise. With Mercy. Because, and Mercy's character, because she's had the bigger storyline than Anne has, I believe. And Mercy always has a moment. Oh, then, then least, Gloriana has, yeah. Yeah, yeah then Gloriana. Um, uh, Mercy always has at least one moment per episode that is unforgettable. And I don't think Gloriana really has yet. Yet. And the third one actually <clears throat> is Anne. Tamsin Merchant, who plays Anne, yeah. who's had a lot of moments, too. The three of them, three relatively new, not brand new, but relatively new actresses in a big series... This is a great thing for the three of their careers. It'd be interesting to see how they break out. Absolutely. So, all right, guys, let's get on to predictions. And now you're after Buzz TV predictions. All right, Jesse, you have to go first. The way you're looking at me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I predict that um, Mr. Sibley's going to get the frog out of his leg, and then he's going to try to expose Mary, but they're going to end up having to kill him. Because Ooh. if Increase finds out, then Mary, I mean, Salem would end. They'd all die. So I think, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think they're going to have to kill him. Kill George Sibley. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to stick with my prediction from last week that Cotton's father is actually a witch. He does um, say it, although he might have been lying just for dramatic intent. When the captain says, we haven't found the witch, where's the witch on the boat? And he says, I'm the witch. And then he sticks the knives through his... He, he, sa- he, he said he said the witch is here or whatever. He says it's here with us. I thought He's... he meant like the guy. Oh right? no no, I thought he meant him. I thought he meant like I'm the witch. Now he could have been lying. He could have been just doing something dramatic to take over the boat or whatever. So your prediction probably still might hold and we just don't know it yet. But he did say something like the witch is here or I'm the witch when he put the knives to the guy's hands. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I think we're going to see more hookups of John <laughs> and Mary. <laughs> Just, I mean, it doesn't really add. What much, a bold, but... what a bold prediction! <laughs> I think, I think it's gonna happen. 
Can I can I say then we'll see more hookups between Gloriana and Cotton? Absolutely. I'm going to stick with my prediction because it looked like it was coming true in some of the coming attractions for the next couple episodes. Uh, Gloriana is too valuable to Cotton, and somebody is going to use her against him. And I think we're going to see that when Increase Mather accuses Mab, I believe it was, who was in the chair in the water or whatever, and she points out Gloriana. So Gloriana is going to become a turning point in this show for Cotton. And I also think that we're going to see Mercy, her power is going to increase more, and she's going to be butting heads more with Mary and testing testing her authority, I guess, over Mercy. Yeah, without a doubt. I think Cotton's going to have his biggest test, too. Do I pick Gloriana? Do I pick my father? I like it. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think he'd probably pick Gloriana if it came down to it, right? Yeah, but he's scared of his father. His father's yeah. really powerful. And we don't know their whole relationship, so maybe there is something there with the dad. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Twitter, Instagram, social media links, maybe MySpace. Where can we find you? <laughs> Not on MySpace, but <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. You can follow me at Cobble for Mayor, K-O-P-P-E-L-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Jessie Owen. And also watch me on Catfish on Wednesdays and me and Bobby keeping up with the Kardashians on Sundays. That's right. We go from <laughs> Salem to keeping up with the Kardashians. I'm so excited yeah. for that. I'm at Bobby Demiro on Twitter, at Mr. Bobby Demiro on Instagram. Remember, guys, the Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness is out tomorrow, June 3rd. You can order it on Amazon and pretty much everywhere else where books are sold. That's it for Salem tonight. We will see you a week from today. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.